From my new home office, on behalf of the Prindle Institute for Ethics at DePaul University, this is Getting Ethics to Work, the podcast that tackles the trickier moral dilemmas that you might face in the workplace. I'm your host and Prindle Institute director, Andy Cullison, and with me is our producer, Kate Berry. Hello. For each episode of Getting Ethics to Work, we discuss a case and unpack the difficult and often hidden ethical tensions that can make it hard to get along with others at work. And by the way, case is just an ethicist word for story. Now, before we get started, I want to remind everyone that we are not lawyers and are not offering legal expertise. But as an ethicist, I can give you a long list of disruptions that managers should be aware of for folks working at home. Also, uh, we're still recording during a time when most of the country is under some kind of shelter-in-place order. We hope that you and your loved ones are safe and healthy. Kate and I are still working remotely over a Zoom meeting from the comfort of our respective homes. So please continue to bear with us as we trade sound quality for safety. Now, COVID-19 has drastically altered the workplace in ways that none of us could have anticipated. And we've already started to realize that there are so many interesting and very new moral and ethical dilemmas that this new environment gives rise to. For many of us, home is the new work. So we're continuing our series on the ethics of working from home. We've already done one. It was called Ethics of Working from Home with Personal Devices. If you missed that, please go check it out. And this episode will focus on another issue related to the COVID-19 crisis. It has to do with the ethics of expectations. We've had a few listeners reach out to us and express concern that their managers expect the same level of productivity, and in some cases more, now that they're working from home. This seems unreasonable to them, but they're not quite sure how to articulate what exactly is wrong, if anything, with that. Yeah, I think this is a really interesting issue, and I'm, I'm excited to talk about it, so let's get to work. So, Andy, what are some reasons that managers might feel like it's totally fair to keep the same level of expectations while people are working from home? Yeah, I think that's a good question. You know, before we start demonizing our managers and thinking, oh my gosh, <laughs> uh, why, why are they doing this? Uh, I think it would be good to try and get inside the mind of a manager and and sort of figure out what might they be thinking. Um, And I think the first most natural thing that someone might be thinking is, you know, we're we're paying you the same. What would be wrong with expecting a a similar level of productivity? Yeah, I think that this is a stressful time for everyone and there's a lot of uncertainty. And so there may be a feeling of this is a time of crisis and everyone needs to step up, give more pull together. And this is sort of the manager that not only wants you to keep your regular work, but do extra things that you wouldn't other otherwise typically do. And I think that that makes sense. We do come together and really show our mettle uh, during times of crisis, but it's also, it's a lot of pressure to put on people who are maybe barely keeping it together at home. Yeah. And I mean, managers are going to have good examples to point to, right? I mean, think of all the doctors on the front lines, you know, sort of like, you know, I could imagine a manager being like, hey, you're not one of them. And, and you know, they're really stepping up and maybe we should all look to them as a model and roll up our sleeves and, you know, just put more in. And like you said, we're all in it together. Right. And, and I think that, that you're right, that compared to some people who are in greater danger than the rest of us, there is this feeling of like, what are you 
complaining about. You're at home. And I think this also, there may be managers who even think that somehow it's easier to work from home. You don't even have to get dressed, right? There may be like, this is even easier than going into the office. Right. You don't have the commute to worry about. Uh, You don't have to shower if you don't want to. Uh, You you only have to look nice from the waist up because of Zoom meetings. So yeah, they they might even think that somehow their employees have more time right? Uh, they've, they've made up for lost time uh, by cutting out the time it takes to get ready, for example. Or just that, you know, everyone's more comfortable in your house. This is a gift that you get to, you get to, you know, lay on your couch while you're writing out a report or something. You know, I think something else that managers might be thinking, and this is going to depend very much on the industry that you're in, particularly if you're like a, you know, you've got a private company, you're a small business, Managers really might be faced with a choice between amping up expectations or the company goes under and we have to lay everybody off, right? So, I mean, some businesses, this really might be a crisis. It's a choice between, you know, everybody has to do it this way or we go under. So I want to be sensitive to that. What is going to be reasonable could very well depend on, you know, what what the industry is that you're in. I can imagine a lot of mid-level managers feeling that the expectations of their managers and like or the CEO have not relaxed and so if they're being held to the same level that um, one they shouldn't and they possibly maybe even feel like they can't relax it for though for their direct reports that if they have to keep the same level of work that that's only possible if their direct reports also are completing the same level right if someone up top is setting the culture setting the tone that expectations haven't changed and in fact they've they've increased in some way um, yeah why why wouldn't a manager think well that's just how this is Okay, so I can see why managers might have some reasons for thinking it's not unreasonable, not unfair to expect a similar level of work. We're paying you the same. This is a crisis. Everyone should step up. Isn't it easier for you to work from home? Uh, Look, this is a choice between us going under or keeping the expectations high. And, you know, this is coming from the top. No one has let up on me and my expectations for me, so why should I let up on the people who work with me? So there's a, there's a family of reasons that someone might have. That said, I think it's important to try and understand why managers might have these expectations, but I also think it's important for managers to understand why the people who work for them might think that this is unreasonable. They might think that this is not okay to expect the same level of productivity. And I think a really good place to start is all the disruptions that happen when you're trying to work from home and you're sheltering in place. Uh, Because I think once we see that, it has some implications for what I think managers should be thinking about. I think one of the biggest ones and the the challenge that I'm hearing the most about is uh, people trying to work and parent full time and uh, issues with e-learning. I don't have any kids, but Andy, could you speak to how difficult that is? Uh, it's not e-learning, it's homeschooling is what it effectively is, even even with the best of teachers, right, um, who, who lay everything out. The technology is new for the kids. They're not used to doing some of this in the ways that they're accustomed to doing. It's a lot of work to make sure that um, the kids are doing the work that the school boards have set out for them. I probably spend probably at least an hour or two, and the only thing I'm doing is just helping them with e-learning 
So that's a huge chunk of time and a lot of energy that goes into uh, helping kids sort of just weather this crisis. But there are other things that I feel like are so much harder and and they feel sort of mundane maybe, but um, people who maybe regularly ate out or were not much of home cooks, it's harder now. I feel like people are probably taking a lot more time in the kitchen than they did in their more regular lives. I mean, there's just all the other distractions at home, right? You know, your partner wants to come and ask you a question, wants to coordinate with you on the day. It's the only time you all can meet because they're off busy doing something else. The dog needs to go out. The cat needs to be fed. So many things that you can shut out uh, when you are at the office that you can't shut out when you're at home or else you feel like an absentee partner or an absentee parent, right? You just, you, you need to be more attentive to the folks around you. And, you know, I, I've heard there's advice about like, oh, you know, find a, find a place where you can go, lock a door, but, you know, not everyone has that luxury. Some people are going to have a really hard time carving out that quiet room of their own. Right. Yeah, and you might be checking in with family more. You might be checking in on those neighbors who are more at risk. Uh, there's a lot of community involvement that might be happening. And, you know, spending time tending to the needs of people in our community, I mean, in the spirit of, quote unquote, rolling up our sleeves, stepping up, you know, if you're, de- if you're a manager and you're demanding that people step up, realize that society is asking people to step up in other ways, too not just as it relates to their work. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of disruptions that come just from working at home, but there's also a lot of you know more serious things that people might be dealing with amidst this crisis, right? Yeah, absolutely. They could have a, a spouse, partner, family member who's lost their job, doesn't know what they're gonna do next, um, that that would put in incredible stress and be uh, upheaval in the house that would be hard to deal with even under the best conditions and much harder now. Yeah, or they might be sick or dealing with someone who's sick. Right, I mean, I being at home and doing your work is already hard, but if you have someone who is sick in your home or is or you're worried is, is vulnerable to COVID, um, that would take so much mental energy. You know, it would be difficult to even turn on your computer. So there's a lot of difficult disruptions that might be happening at the home, but there's also things that are going to be time-consuming or cause inefficiencies that just have to do with people trying to collaborate with their team virtually, right? So let's let's get some examples of that on the table. Well, I'm sure... Uh, you and I and so many people in America have experienced Zoom difficulties, right? That, oh, I can't get in. Oh, wait, is, are you there? I'm in the waiting room. Where are you? Just the the minutes turning into hours of trying to get organized and get on the same Zoom call as everyone else. Yeah, it seems like a good guiding assumption is to assume that every meeting that you would have done in the office takes 25 to 50% longer uh, just because people are trying to get the audio settings right. Even even when you know what you're doing, uh, I find that, you know, these platforms are being stretched to the point where for some inexplicable reason, my audio doesn't work and I've done everything right. Yeah. And then there's uh, what you might call just the normal inefficiencies of digital communication. When everybody's working in the same place and you need an answer to a question, you, you can just go down the hall and ask Bob or Julie or whoever, hey, uh, what do you think of this? But, you know, if you're trying to do that over Slack or Google Hangouts, or email, you you ask the question at one time, you've already gotten your kids e-learning out of the day, but by the time your colleague sees the question, it's now their turn 
to take over kid duty or it's their turn to cook the meal. And so you may find that what normally would have been getting quick answers is just really, really dragged out. And then also, if if business is operating as usual, keep in mind that everybody's email workload has probably gone up, right? Things that could have been efficiently taken care of in the office are now suddenly having to happen also over email. And we all know just how difficult email communication can be generally and how bogged down people can get with that generally. And it's probably just getting worse. I think that's right. And in addition to the the time suck, I think there's also some like social dynamic and like increased instances of misunderstanding because everything is happening digitally that um, one, we're all starved for social interaction. And so that I think that makes us all kind of awkward, but also there's just a joke or something that would be very clear if it was in person suddenly over Slack or email or even on Zoom is like, wait, what? What was that? What did you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why why do you say it like that? So tone, uh, intention, those things become more difficult. And I think that just increases the sort of feeling of like, this is harder. This is more than it was before. Absolutely. So we've taken a long time to list all the distractions that are happening in the home, why people may be having a hard time focusing. But why should that matter to a manager? They may feel like, I see you guys at work. You're distracted all the time. Um, How is that different? Uh, Why should I care about the distraction rate or the increased distractions now that you're at home? I think that's a really good question. And I think it's worth thinking about what the consequences of disruption are in a workplace environment. And there's a really interesting article that we'll link to in the show notes that notes that it takes about 30 minutes to refocus after a distraction. Think how many times you get distracted in the work environment when you're in the office But now think about that long list of disruptions, all the ways in which people could get distracted at home that normally don't happen in the office. So if that's true that it takes 30 minutes to refocus after a distraction, given all the ways that people can be distracted at work, you've got to take into account that the ability to focus, the ability to engage in the kind of deep work that needs to happen in order to get good work done, for many people, that just may be completely unavailable. Um, They just might not have it on a given day to do any of that work, right? Yeah. And and you mentioned uh, earlier that these distractions are happening at different times in various people's households, right? So it could be that one person got an hour and a half of really good work in, but that happened five hours after someone else was got their little time of work in. And so that the the sort of collaboration that sh- that usually happens when everyone's working together and sort of on the same schedule totally falls apart, gets so much more complicated, and just means that every task is going to take so much longer. Absolutely. Like in the work environment, let's say three people are working on something, and I go interrupt somebody and say, hey, I'm working on this thing. Uh, I wanted to ask you this. Let's bring so-and-so over real quick. We talk about it real quick. We all just got distracted, but then we all go to our office and shut our doors and, and focus, or at least ideally that's something we could do. But in this asynchronous distraction thing, that kind of stuff doesn't always happen. And so, yeah, like there's a real good chance that pieces aren't lining up in the way they need to. And the bigger the team, maybe the greater the confusion and disjointedness between people because you have two, like so many people in so many different situations in their various homes. At the end of the day, I think managers really would benefit from being aware not only of just how many more disruptions and distractions there are, 
how much extra time is taken out of a person's day. And then what the data shows us, the impact of that stuff is on the ability to get meaningful work done. Yeah. So a manager might hear all of this and say, but you guys are adults. You're in your houses. Everyone should be able to figure this out. Why is this my problem? Don't bring these things to me. I don't need to hear about your dog and your cooking and your laundry and how dirty your house is. Like, that's not my problem. Yeah. I mean, a manager might at the end of the day be like, okay, yeah, it's hard. Should I be that concerned about what your home life is like as it relates to your work life? So in this time where home is the new work, um, should managers be concerned about what goes on in the homes of their reports? Well, I I think we could come up with a few good moral reasons why a manager might have some, at least they would give us some reason to think a manager has some moral consideration here. I mean, let me start with something really broad that might seem unrelated, but, you know, there there is something sacred about the home that is really baked into the American psyche. Uh, it's, it's so ingrained that we see it protected in the Third Amendment of the Bill of Rights. So that, that, that amendment says the, the government cannot force people to quarter soldiers, provide room and board for soldiers, even in a time of war, right? Or there is some caveat, like maybe they can pass some law or something. But in general, you're not supposed to do that. And then you might think, okay, what, what the heck does this have to do with anything? But a couple of things. One, it was very much on the founding father's mind that there was something sacred about the home, that, that the home is your place. And not even the government in a time of war could seize that and dictate how things go at home. And this has been interpreted to be more broadly, like the government has very little right to think they can't enter your home. Uh, There's a lot about the way things operate at home that they don't have a right to dictate. You know, I'm not saying corporations are like the government in any way, shape or form, but it's not beyond the pale for people to think that there is something fundamentally sacred about what goes on inside my own house. And... The more a manager expects things to go a certain way inside someone's home, the more strict they get about it, the more I think people are going to like, no, like the, you know, I'm, I'm happy to work from home, but ease up on telling me how that's going to go, right? Like, right. Ease up on expecting it to go a certain way, exactly the way you want. I'm willing to help you out by working from home, but come on, cut me some slack. But, so I, that, that's, that's one general thing, dude. One of the reasons we imagined a manager might have for thinking it's okay for them to have this level of expectation is like, hey, we're in a crisis. It's, it's time to step up, right? Yeah. Well, great. If you can appeal to a crisis, so can your employees. Crisis is a double-edged sword. Why, why do you get to demand that everyone adjust to the new normal, but you get to keep the exact same expectations of what normal is, right? You're, there's a, I'm, I'm going to name drop a philosopher. You're not being a good Kantian. It seems like a manager runs the risk of expecting that everyone else needs to adjust their expectation about what's normal. But I get to be treated as some special exception who gets to keep all the original expectations. So no, so so everyone else has to like change. But the one thing that can't change are my expectations for what good looks like, right? That's, there's something, you're, you're treating yourself as a special exception. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, Kant would not approve. Yeah, Kant would not approve. Kate, can you think of other things that should make managers take this more seriously? Well, I was just thinking that if all of these distractions were happening in your office building, so if you had kids running around asking for help with long division and dogs constantly barking and maybe sick parents. So you're imagining if all these distractions were happening inside the walls of the actual office place, not at home. Right. So that everyone is everyone's sitting in their offices, their cubicle, in their open floor plan, whatever, and they just have a whole bunch of other people wandering around needing their attention and, and needing help from the workers that a manager might think, I have to do something about this. Right. And it'd be weird if the manager's like, why is that my problem? Right. Right. Um, and so, that, so that would be something that they would need to address if it was happening in the, the walls of their workplace. And so if we understand everyone working from home as this sort of expansion of the workplace, that it might also make sense that the manager's concerns for keeping up a certain level of, that the manager's concerns for those places has also expanded. Right, right. And that the manager might have some responsibility, if even if they can't change the situation, but to understand that it is it does affect them and it is a part of their job to understand what the distraction. Right. And that's a really good point. And imagine these distractions in the workplace were things that the manager couldn't do anything about, right? There was construction that the manager had no nothing that could be done about, right? Like the, all the distractions, all the disruptions, the manager couldn't just say, all these things must come to an end now so that my workers can be undistracted. You'd think, well, the manager has to adjust expectations. The manager can't expect the same level of work in a horribly distraction-laden environment, right? I really like that analogy. If everyone was distracted from noise from construction or maybe fumes were get, was giving everyone a headache, um, the manager would have to be pretty callous to say, yes, I know we all have migraines, but it doesn't matter. Keep working. And, and add to that, uh, suppose uh, your, your job responsibilities changed so that, you know, you didn't have facilities staff to maintain the building and so employees had to suddenly spend an hour or two of their day just cleaning their office yeah, so that they could work, right? If home was the new work, then some of the time spent cleaning is actually you're cleaning your office. So Andy, I've got a question for you. So we earlier talked about managers continuing to expect the most out of their direct reports because their manager or maybe the CEO of an organization is continuing to work at regular or maybe even um, increased levels. What could someone say to that issue if, if sort of the people at the top are still working maybe even harder than ever? That's a really good question. I think part of it kind of hinges on if you think there could be different degrees of responsibility to step up, based on your role in the organization. The simplest version of this is, you know, thinking about whoever the chief executive is of an organization. I, I think we find it intuitive that they have way more responsibility to successfully execute the mission of the company or the organization than a part-time worker who's been brought on as a seasonal employee or something, right? I mean, it's sort of like that, let's take the widest difference in role right, the CEO compared to a seasonal employee, does that seasonal employee really have a duty to roll up their sleeves uh, to the same degree 
as the CEO of the company. And I think, surely we think the CEO bears more responsibility. And is that mostly because the compensation is so different? Is it, does it have to do with the reward for the work? I think part of it probably has to do with the compensation, right? Like they get paid way more. So yeah, roll up your sleeves. But part of it might also just be the nature of the job description. CEOs have a very general job description. Make sure this doesn't fail, right? And you might think that's also true for VPs, right? VPs of different divisions, VPs of marketing have different job responsibilities that are generally have to do with the overall success and productivity of their division. I'm not exactly sure how to draw the line. When do you get to stop expecting as much from your employees? But it does seem intuitively like there would be some line to be drawn where the more overall responsibility your role bears for the health of the organization, the higher degree we can expect you to have to step up. But maybe it would be not fair to expect that same level from someone else in the organization. It's messy, but it seems like there is some important difference there. We've laid out why managers might feel like they need to expect things or why managers might feel that they have the right to expect the same level of productivity from their employees. We've laid out the distractions that might make that productivity difficult. And we've tried to explain why a manager should think that those distractions are their problem. What kind of advice or solutions are do we have for uh, for our listeners, for people who are working at home and are trying to find that balance of working and just living right now, which is uh, more difficult than it usually is? I have no idea. <laughs> uh, um, I, I mean, I guess I, I have some I have some thoughts. I mean, there there aren't going to be neat and tidy solutions here. And if you're a manager, you know your industry better than we do, and you know what uncertainties there are, I mean, and it's up to you to, to, to determine how best to deal with those uncertainties. That, that's literally the leader's job, um, to navigate an organization through adaptive challenges. So I, th- I think the main point we wanted to get across is that it's not that easy to dismiss concerns from employees that it's unreasonable to have the same expectations. And I think there are good moral reasons to consider altering your expectations if you get the sense that your employees think you're expecting too much from them. Again, at the end of the day, depending on your industry, the degree to which this is a crisis for your organization, I mean, all that needs to be taken into account. But there are, it's at least worth getting out that there are some good moral reasons that employees might have for thinking expectations should be lower than they normally are. And it's sort of up to you to decide what to do with that. Thanks so much for joining us as we try to get ethics to work. I'm Andy Cullison. And I'm Kate Barry. If you have a question about business ethics you'd like answered on the podcast, email me at katherineberry at depaw.edu, and maybe we'll talk through your issue on the air. We hope you're staying safe and healthy in this crisis. We also hope you can take some of what we discussed here and get it to work. If you want to learn more about what we talked about on the show today, check out our show notes page at prindledinstituteorg backslash get ethics to work. That is all one word, get ethics to work. 
Remember to subscribe to get new episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. But regardless of where you subscribe, please be sure to rate us on Apple Podcasts. It is the best place for us to meet new listeners. Getting Ethics to Work is hosted by the Janet Prindle Institute for Ethics at DePaul University. Our logo was created by Smallbox. Our music is by Blue Dot Sessions and can be found online at www.sessions.blue. Our show is made possible with the generous support of DePaul alumni, friends of the Prindle Institute, and you, the listeners. Thank you for your support. The views expressed here are the opinions of the individual speakers alone. They do not represent the position of DePaul University or the Prindle Institute for Ethics.